1: His challenger, Cory Bush, was with us yesterday. She's hoping for an upset against Clay, who has never lost an election in a political career, closing in now on four decades. He served in the Missouri House, the Senate, and the U.S. Congress. He joins me in studio along with St. Louis Public Radio political reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Congressman and Jason, great to have you with us.
0: Thank you for having me back, Don, and it's always good to be with Jason. I haven't been here in a couple of years, but I'm glad to be with both of you. Well, it's good to,
1: good to have you. Now, I'll start this way. A lot of people are calling this race a clash between the old guard and new energetic young progressives. Uh, how do you argue against that?
0: Well, I, as I always do, and I started my congressional career uh, in a contested primary uh, with five opponents uh, and came out of that uh, successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was able to do that because I ran on a record. Mm-hmm. And unlike uh, anyone else in this race, there are three opponents, by the way. Sure. And uh, unlike them, I do have a record to run on, and that's what I asked the voters uh, each time. That I'm contested in a primary or general, to look at my record uh, and determine if I've done enough uh, to warrant uh, their vote, mm-hmm. and and this time I'm asking them to take a look to have have I been effective as a member of Congress mm-hmm. to bring back uh, needed resources uh, to to designate the federally the the federal promise zone. Or to bring back um, a $2 billion project for North St. Louis mm-hmm. like the NGA. Let,
1: let me follow up with something uh, you're probably familiar with. This is the first line of a of an editorial in St. Louis American, which says U.S. Representative William Lacey Clay has been criticized, at least since Ferguson, as a largely absentee congressman who was strong on official letters and fearless biting quotes but weak on personal presence in the district when needed. You've heard that before.
0: I find that to be a false narrative. Uh, Let me share with you and your listening audience uh, the job description for a U.S. representative. Uh, Just to give you uh, insight on what my week looks like, Uh, I leave here um, from, from St. Louis on a Monday morning. Um, to get there for votes by Monday evening. Mm-hmm. Throughout the week, we conduct hearings. Uh, we meet with the administration. We I meet with constituents and, um, and take votes to be that voice there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I get on a plane and fly back here. So being a member of Congress is a full-time job. I, if you look at my travel records. Uh, I have traveled from a round trip from St. Louis to Washington since January 31 times. That's on average once a week. You have to be in the nation's capital in order to adequately represent this district. Now, I also have three district offices. We have full coverage. Uh, and and that's unparalleled to any other elective office holder. I have a South City congressional office, a Midtown congressional office in the Eagleton building as well as a North County congressional office all with ably trained staff that are responsive to the 770,000 people who live in this district. There are hundreds of neighborhoods and when I'm at home on the weekends, if I, I get an invitation to visit with these different groups in these different neighborhoods, I take that opportunity. And so for that narrative to play out that I'm an absentee congressman, it's just not true, Don. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I've talked with both you and your opponent on a multitude of issues. And to be candid, you, are, you both are pretty similar on things. You both yeah. support Medicaid, Medicare for all. You're both opposed to Donald Trump's immigration policies. You both want to raise the minimum wage. So when I ask her supporters, by her I mean Cory Bush, what is the main difference? They point to the fact that you've taken political action committee yeah. contributions. I want you to address that because that seems to be the, the cause du jour among the, quote, progressive yeah. movement. And it, and I think I think you we, I don't yeah. think I've asked you about that before.
0: I don't think we've discussed it either, Jason. But but let me say this for the listening audience, um, and and you are referring to PAC donations, yes. political action committee donation. Uh, just for edification, political action committees are made up of employee groups. Uh, now, most of my donations come from labor unions, and these are all voluntary donations that 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 employee groups make. Some come from senior citizen groups. Some come from retiree groups. Others come from uh, local corporations here, like Boeing, who, whom I support. And I would never turn down that support. Uh, apparently, this is a new litmus test for, for people on the left. Uh, I am not willing to play that game because I believe in federal election law, and it should matter, and I believe in adi- adequate reporting and, transparent, and transparency with the Federal Election Commission and I've always adhered to that to 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 those rules that are passed down by the FEC and federal election law mm-hmm. and and so um for for that distinction to be made between my opponent and I then then you have to then, then that begs the question um I have I have fully disclosed what uh, my expenditures go to how I derive my money, uh, but yet some of my opponents are, 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 you know, involved with dark money groups like Justice Democrats and Brand New Congress, uh, who are not fully accounting uh, for those expenditures.
2: Well, let's talk about what you're telling voters as far as what your platform is. Yeah. Explain to me, like, why you feel you. You you are progressive, and why this rap that you're kind of a a Dino establishment person is wrong because that is the narrative that's going around, and I think you deserve a chance to respond to that.
0: And I and I appreciate that. You know, when you when you look at um at at the rhetoric that you have just voiced that's going around, I have to go back to my first term in Congress uh, when it was uh, when when I was one of a few. Members of Congress who believed in universal health care reform, who believed in a public uh, option, who believed in a single-payer model for health care. Now it's changed to Medicare for all, but it's still uh, relevant as far as, as where I started. I uh, be, became an original co-sponsor of the bill uh, and have always supported it and was proud in 2010. Uh, to to uh vote for and to help write the Affordable Care Act that gave Americans thirty that gave thirty million more Americans access to medical care. I think that's significant. Uh and and, and I'm I'm still uh fighting uh to to prevent the Trump administration uh from undoing the benefits of this law like uh um uh, requiring that, that pre that that pre existing condition cannot be a determinant of whether you get health insurance. Uh, or also looking at a new concept, a new form of public option like Medicaid for all, allow the states to expand Medicaid so that um um um, so that so so that each state, right now we have over thirty states, who have expanded Medicaid under the F- Affordable Care Act, allow that to be a public option, so that that people can so that consumers can buy into Medicaid for all, not Medicare, Medicaid mm-hmm. for all, bring it to a state level and give those states rights, people. Uh, the opportunity to provide for their citizens, and, and so and when, when you look, talk about my progressive credentials uh, annually, in in every Congress I've been in the top four uh, by 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 several journals, and uh, that have said you one of the top four most progressive members of Congress, and I'm proud of that record, and and I believe the majority of voters know. Um, of Of my record and appreciate it
1: Congressman, if the Democrats take over the House in November,
0: what would that
1: enable you specifically to do that you 've been been unable to do? With the Republican majority.
0: Here's what I think it will enable us to do. First, on my committee assignment on the House Financial Services Committee, uh, it it would enable me to be a a subcommittee chair over financial institutions and consumer protection. So that would allow us to reinstate uh, the consumer protections that this administration has unwound uh, at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I was proud to vote for Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform in 2010 uh, because it it, it it brought into uh, the equation for American consumers, the first agency, federal agency, to stand behind American consumers. And it was an effective agency that, that won uh, uh, up to $12 billion in awards for American consumers, mm-hmm. Uh, that that stopped that um uh, uh stopped these predatory industries where they could uh and now we have um an, an administration that doesn't believe in it, wants to undo it, and wants to remove regulations and and so that's one area that I will work in, especially um and when it comes to to the area of redlining like we suffer from in this community uh with banks insurance companies realtors and uh, real estate appraisers uh, to to try to, to break down some of those barriers to our community being able to build family wealth. And then the other area that I think is important, Don, is uh, from my assignment on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, we will have jurisdiction over the 2020 census. Uh, and I've had 10 years ago uh, I was the subcommittee chair that had the oversight over the 2010 census. It was the most accurate census recorded in American history. I intend to play a role again in that, in the 2020 census, and to allow for uh, and, and to fight this administration f- from putting the citizenship question on the form, mm-hmm. because we know that will tamp down participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are the kind of things that we, we would benefit from if, um, if the Democrats reclaim the majority. In
1: the Wh- While we're on the subject of that, mm-hmm. um, are you prepared to vote for Nancy Pelosi to retain leadership role?
0: Very good question. I certainly am willing to support um, the first female speaker of the U.S. House of Re- Representatives and to vote for her uh, reelection. As the U.S. as the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, and here's why: because I think she would be the perfect counterbalance to President Trump and his administration. Uh, she doesn't suffer fools lightly, and so she's tough. Uh, she has guided us this far. Uh, I she guided us from 2006 from '06 to 2010 and and we were able to get wall street reform we were able to pass the affordable care act we made we made quite a bit of pro- progress in that four year span so i don't have a problem supporting her at all
2: and this is a question i kind of ask in a vacuum to congressional candidates but in your situation you actually have a track record voting on votes to send the country to war or military interventionism i believe that you were you voted against the iraq war and I want to get your sense of what you feel, what you're feeling about Trump's foreign policy yeah. and what your your general philosophy is when voting either for or against military interventionalism. Because I, I truly believe that's the most important vote sure. a congressperson per- makes. And you, you're you correct.
0: I, in the past, I have voted against uh, uh, declarations to go to war because I, I, I think that it's so much uh, – it's so easy to make war, but so much more difficult to find peace. Uh, and 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 we don't um, we don't have the luxury of sparing American treasure over some folly in in, in, in a far off land. I mean, we, we wasted a trillion dollars in Iraq and Afghanistan for what? Over a lie. That that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. We destroyed an entire country uh, that was one of the most advanced uh, in the Middle East, and and we destroyed their culture and their institutions, bombed them out, and then spent billions trying to rebuild them, and that was a fiasco, and uh, and and so that was that is that is why. Uh, uh, I, I, I tend to gravi- gravitate towards peace. What was the other part? No, that, you basically like, answered my question. We seem
1: to be in, an, in another kind of war now, a cyber war with, uh, mm-hmm. with the Russians. And uh, you're a member of the Government uh, Reform and Oversight Committee, oh. and that's been dealing, that's been investigating what's, uh, what's been going on. W- where are we in that now as far as you're concerned? And how, I'm sure you're supportive of what's going on in Washington right now to, to deal with that.
0: Well, I I think we should, as a Congress, wait for Mr. Mueller to finish his investigation. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will will bear out the direction and give us some direction in Congress if we need to take any further step. Let me me say this, that uh, we have been attacked. Our democracy was attacked by Russians. And for um and the intelligence community has indicated that all of all the uh, um of of, of the leaders of the of the intelligence agencies have indicated that and yet i see president trump using um foreign policy as a diversion or a distraction from dealing with the, the issue of how we're going to protect our elections in 2018 and beyond, how we are going to uh, actually uh, take measures against Russia and for him to stop being President Putin's lapdog. Well, you say wait for Mueller. And there are
1: indications mm-hmm. already, and our Senator Claire McCaskill is all, already a, an apparent victim of this. That the Russians uh, apparently are at it again, and it's t- too late. Many think for
0: 2018. Well, no, no, no. Now, now understand that um, for uh, for Senator McCaskill and before, I was a victim of them. They when they hacked into the DNC in 2016, uh, my my cell phone number was put up on the Drudge report. And in a, a matter of hours, I've got all of these Trump supporter calls, and and then you know all, most of the D most of the Democratic members of the House uh, of the House were were hacked, and um, and their phones were compromised. I mean, it was we've been going through this since the DNC was hacked initially. But it looks like 2018 is going to be affected potentially by all of this.
1: Uh, it's been going on at least since twenty sixteen. Yeah. I mean what what can be done in the short term to uh, protect that uh, that vote?
0: Well uh, the um, the U.S. House attempted to to protect and to to uh fund uh, the State's uh initiatives to to protect their their data better. Last week it failed. It was a long party line vote. And so first of all, I think that Um, um, members of Congress have to understand we are under attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our systems are vulnerable. I I, I mean, I look at just last week, I was notified that Amazon has this facial recognition Mm -hmm. uh, app and that I happen to be one of the 30-something members of Congress who have been uh, misidentified and I, apparently I had warrants on me and was wanted in several du- jurisdictions because of misidentification mm-hmm. and of course the the um, the misidentification occurred <laughs> along um there there were more members of the congressional black caucus and hispanic caucus uh, that were misidentified mm-hmm. by this uh this amazon app uh RECOGNITION is the name of the app.
2: Wow. Um, One of the things that's gotten some notoriety is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez stumping for your opponent. Um, What impact is that going to have? And let's say you win and she joins your caucus. Is is there going to be any hard feelings after that, or is it a— no permanent friends, only permanent interest, sort of thing. Did I get that right?
0: <laughs> it's no permanent friends, nor permanent enemies. Yes, that, Just uh, permanent interest. You <laughs> now, you you're close, Jason. I'm close. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I welcomed her to uh, to St. Louis when she came here. Uh, I don't I don't have any animosity uh, with her, I, and and I don't think she should have any uh, with us. I think that she has made some rookie mistakes. Like what? Uh, like uh, going around the country, uh, campaigning against uh, people that she's gonna probably wind up serving with, and and I, I I would think that that would be that that even her advisors would tell her, you know, they you don't start off of making enemies you may make enemies eventually but in congress it requires that you have relationships within your own party and across the aisle if you're going to be effective unless you're not going to be effective unless you want to stand in one side of the corner while the other while the other extreme stands in the other side of the corner and just yell at each other your father helped establish the white caucus yes. in congress
1: what is the effectiveness of that caucus now in the current environment yeah. under the current administration?
0: I'm I'm glad you asked that. We are 48 a 48 member caucus, uh, and we are the conscience of the Congress. Uh, we we continue to raise the issues whether we're in the majority or the minority. Uh, there will be. Um, when we take back the house, the first hundred days, the Congressional Black Caucus has proposed uh, numerous initiatives that will um, restore some of the regulations that that we have have uh, lost under this administration in the workplace for mm-hmm. safe safety and the environment uh, to um, um, restore some of the Wall Street reforms mm-hmm. uh, that, that that we sorely need to protect consumers, from redlining, uh, from predatory lenders, from payday loans, uh, and those who are heavily burdened with college debt.
1: So,
2: yeah. You know, one of the running storylines in St. Louis (laughs) politics, going back to your father, is just the belief of some of your adversaries that your political magic has just dissipated. I mean, just from my observation, this happened in 2014, 2016, and then now. What would you say to the people that think that the Clay dynasty political muscle has, has at, atrophied over the years.
0: You know, Jason, a lot of that has to do with um, being preoccupied with hate. And we know from Dr. King that hate does not drive out hate. Only love can do that. I have uh, unconditional love for the people in this community that I serve. And so I really don't have a lot of, of time to be preoccupied. That's a, that's a distortion. That is a distraction. That's the same technique President Trump uses when he tries to divert attention away from what needs to be done in this community. And so I've learned over the years is to not be distracted by some uh, haters because that will take me away from my mission of standing up an entire community north of Del Mar uh, and and giving people – um economic opportunities to actually make it to lift their families up to build family wealth to make them bankable and to get and that's why we've held um over 12 job fairs to connect people who are underemployed or unemployed with a decent paying jobs and that, that's been thousands over the last decade and so I, I think that those people know uh, what kind of service I provide to them in this community, and so I, I feel confident uh, that we will we will um, get our record out there, and the people will approve of
1: it. We'll have to leave it at there. Congressman William Lacey Clay, thank you so mm. much for being with us. Good luck on the 7th.
0: Thank you Here's all so much. Perfect nice timing. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jason Rosenbaum, thank you also for being with us. Uh, Joshua Shipp is the other uh, candidate in this yes. race that we should mention also. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.